I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lies below the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And this time we're going to talk about Captain from Castile by Samuel Schellebarger. And this is not the first Schellebarger we've done. This is the second. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, my book, um, I found a, a copy that has both of them in it. We did uh, an episode on Prince of Foxes. My which, favorite. Yeah, which was um, in Italy, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Uh, With the Borgias. Right, right. And this one is in Spain and Mexico. Yes, with Cortez. With Cortez, right. Right, and, and this- uh, Montezuma. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. It's the conquistadors and the Spanish Inquisition. Ooh. Nobody expects that. No. You might have. <laughs> I, I think I might have mentioned it. This is my second favorite, Shella Barker. Wow. Is there a third favorite? Um, there are a couple others. He didn't write tons of books. There are a couple others I like, but they don't have the religious elements woven through them as much. They're about one of them is about France becoming a nation instead of having just the little kingdoms everywhere. Hmm. And the other one is, oh, gosh, it's it's not really focused on a moment of statehood like some of these others are, but it's about a young man coming of age and having to discover that he wants fame and fame is not as important as it could be. And hmm. so nice. anyway, um, and they're both good. Mm-hmm. They're really good, but I like these two better well good yeah and i did enjoy it i really did the uh and i enjoyed prince of foxes as well yeah um so yeah thumbs up both good i'm mm-hmm. glad yeah i'm a Schellebarger fan <laughs> <laughs> and the, one of the things i like about him since i started reading these books especially these two that we're talking uh, that we've talked about um when i was in high school maybe my parents had him hanging around the house and so it's interesting as an adult and as a Catholic to go back to them and find out that he was extremely accurate and sensitive about not only the religious aspects of what he was talking about and spiritual development of some of his characters, although that's not the main thrust of the book. These are adventure stories and intrigue, but also the history is very accurate. Hmm. One of my daughters was taking the history of Mexico, and she was telling me something, and I went, oh, my gosh, Schellerberger had that right. Wow, that's cool. You know, you don't think yeah. about it, and you go back and you read, and you realize he was, he was being very sensitive to, you know, the Aztecs and their attitudes and everything. And this was written in 1945, so you expect a book that's more of an adventurer, swashbuckler sort of a thing to have a more – a less nuanced attitude towards, you know, natives and hmm. religion and all that. And he's got it firing on all cylinders, I yeah, think. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I don't know much about the history there. Um, just the basic sketches. So um, right. I had no idea if he was accurate or not, but it's great. It's great to know that he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. I think he might've been a history professor before he started writing. I'm not mm. positive. Cool. I guess I should have looked that up. <laughs> Google it. Sounds good. Yep. yep. Sounds good. So, um, yeah. So the basic story, we meet a young man, Pedro de Vargas, and he's 16 on his name day. So it's St. Peter's Day. And it's going to be a big day for him. It's as big as a birthday, if not better. And everything's happening. He sees the girl he's got a crush on in church. It seems like she's made for him. He's feeling very holy because he went to confession and um, you see him struggling with things that really show his youth, his Mm. lack of maturity. And the people around him kind of reflect on it a little bit because he's, you know, he's just 16. He's ready to go. He's physically almost a man, but he's still mentally not quite there. And, So when like a flea is biting between his shoulder blades, he's like, oh, wait, it's my name day. I should pay attention to the homily. That must be Satan. (laughs) It was. That's how immature he is. And they're in Spain. 
And what happens is they have a run-in with, well, they have a few run-ins. He mm-hmm. does with yeah. the Inquisition. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the thing that I remember most is he comes across and, uh, uh, this, this girl named Katana, right? Mm-hmm. Who he knows. He, it's not like she's brand new to him, but she's being attacked by several men and, uh, he helps get her out of there. And then that leads to some stuff because those were men that were attached to the Inquisition. So now he's got a problem. Yeah, and she they don't think it's a big deal because she's just a local tavern uh, girl yeah. dancer. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about her. But he will be polite to her in public. His father was a big guy in the wars, the battles. He's very honored. And... Pedro's constantly getting into trouble because, you know, he went to that tavern and he shouldn't have because just low lives hang out there, that kind of thing. He also runs into a guy at the tavern, Juan Garcia, mm, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who winds up being a companion throughout the book, but he's back in town because <laughs> I don't want to give too many spoilers, but this is pretty early in the book. As it turns out, his mother has been, he's, he's trying, he's come back from the new world. Cuba, I think, where Mm -hmm. he's made all this money because he's an adventurer and he's going to set his mother up in style. And she suffered so much. She sacrificed for him when he was little. He is going to change all that. And then he discovers once he's in town, he contacts Pedro secretly and says, I found out the Inquisition has her. They think she's a witch. (laughs) And Pedro's thinking, well, I I could see that. I'm not going to say it to you, but she was kind of a weird old lady. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so he asks him to go take a bribe to the main inquisitor. And Pedro's like, this is never going to work. This guy is so holy. Well, it does. And then begins the start of his brush with the real world versus the idealized world. Mm, yeah. And at the same time, he gets to hang out in the garden with his crush for a little while, this noble lady, and that starts another idealized train of thought mm. that is gonna he's going to struggle with throughout the book because Katana, the tavern dancer, is in his life a lot also. Yeah. She's a much more realistic person, um, very grounded. Right. And so you have all these threads of contrasts that are set up at the beginning. And what happens is his family comes into real contact with the Inquisition because somebody who belongs to it wants some land that his father won't sell. Mm-hmm. And this sends Pedro off on a big adventure uh, as he's on the run, which has him coming into Cortez's uh, confidence. Yeah. And he becomes one world, of the party right? that goes over to take mm-hmm. over the new world. Yeah. Yep. What else? And then there's some um, bunch of stuff in Mexico, right? So yeah. yeah. So he's he uh, ends up in the army over there, and um, yeah, I don't know how much you want to say as as summary, but yeah. yeah. So so there's a bunch of things you know that occur in uh, Mexico, and then he returns to Spain, and uh, you know then it's all wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole time he has an arch nemesis. The guy who wanted to buy his father's land, where it gets personal with both yeah. of them. Diego del de Silva. Yeah. Yep. Not that a jerk. good guy. <laughs> he is evil yeah. to the core. <laughs> and also bad to the bone, so he's That's hard right. to <laughs> overcome. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so I think it's kind of a, I gave a floundering summary, but it's such a great adventure. It drives forward all the time from one thing to another. And at the same time, because it is set in the time period, it is when people are intimately involved with their religion, even if it's just superficially, Hmm. they're, they're going to mass before they go off to battle against the Aztecs. They're doing all these things. They take a priest with them because Hmm. they're going to convert the Indians, all that stuff. And we're looking at Pedro. He's having to wrestle with various issues every so often. And so that kind of lets us do it too. So it's really kind of a nicely balanced book. Yeah. And I really like what you said about how at the beginning he's, you know, young and he has some very young, naive views and those mature throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really satisfying as well. Yeah. 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 Because really the, 
even though you don't think so at the beginning, necessarily, the main point of the book is him and Katana. His relationship with Katana is, is the immediate thing that reflects a lot of his maturity. Not all of it, but it's key because she's not of his class and they're on this adventure together. And she knows exactly where she belongs in society. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really is a look at what is love? What is true love? What does it mean in that way? Yep. Yep. Well put for sure. Okay. You bet. So, so out with the uh, spoilers now. (laughs) Okay. Please. I really did enjoy it. So yeah, if you'd like to read the book, stop now and uh, give it a read and, Come on back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, but yes, I loved, uh, you know, at the very beginning, in fact, the first time we meet Pedro, he is in confession and that was, <laughs> yeah. that was interesting. And he's confessing this, these really minor things and it's really, really, uh, you know, it's, it's innocent and pleasant. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The priest's kind of yawning and going, <laughs> oh, how long till dinner? I've heard a thousand like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's great. And then uh and then Luisa uh, de Carvajal. You yes. know, yeah, so she's she's like uh well, I guess her dad is the marquis and I, I assume that's like a, a mayor or a governor kind of a thing. Some yeah. type of a government official. Well, certainly nobility. Yeah. Mhm. So, yeah, and uh you know, she's kind of a almost a symbol in his head of you know, uh, just something that he, he kind of wants right at the beginning. Well, this, is, that, this is, this is what my goal is, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's is that to uh, 16 year old crush that you get. Yeah. And they both have a crush on each other. They don't know what each other looks like. I mean, it's like inside. They just know what they look like. They both, you know, he's handsome. She's beautiful and fragile. Mm-hmm. And, um, they have a little bit of a romantic flirtation. She gives him a handkerchief to keep as a talisman. Mm, so she yep. becomes that idealized view of romance. Right. And especially since that's being held up by their society anyway, mm. you know, that yeah. you have, there's always a woman who is the one that you're fighting for that kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of as a talisman. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned to uh, him, you know, uh, thinking that the devil has sent that fly and everything. Um, I remember, so very shortly after this part, he, um, you know, he leaves the church and then he's met by, uh, De Silva and, uh, De Silva's Indian slave, you know, from the new world named, yeah. uh, I think you would just pronounce it Kotal. That's C-O- what I did. Yeah. yeah. C-O-A-T-L. Yeah. Um, he has escaped and, um, you know, Pedro knows him. Right, Pedro obviously, you know, has some kind of a friendship with him because he he immediately guesses, you know, I think I know where he is, mm-hmm. and he doesn't tell anybody that he just goes there, and um, he went there with a the full intention of getting him and bringing him back, right, and and uh, capturing him really, yeah, and then yeah, and then um, the right thing to do, right, <laughs> it's the right thing to do. So then he. He's about to do that, and then he says, um, or or he he got a vision of him, Kotal, uh, being tortured because of what he's done. He's run away, right? And yeah. and he he said it was you know in his head it was from Satan. Satan I gave him that this. I have that marked. Yeah. yeah. It says Pedro intended to couple the words with a blow, but his arm failed him. At that moment, Satan because no saint would have intervened for a heretic, yeah. distracted him with a mental picture. It was the picture of Kotal captured and strung up in front of De Silva. 200 lashes, the flesh in strips, the bones showing, and what was it Hernan Gomez had said? Cut the tendons behind the Indian's knees. Oof. After that, he would be a cripple. His legs would wither. He would creep in and out of De Silva's door, fair game for the street boys to trip up. It was queer to think how his fine body would look by evening. Pedro's hand dropped from the dagger hilt. He had lost his chance, for now Kotal had turned with a look of entreaty. Hmm. You're just like, and he's, it's written so well because, you know, we look at it and we go, yeah, if that was an inspiration, it was not from Satan. (laughs) Right. But Pedro is trapped in his, the thinking of his time. Mm -hmm. That's, and his lack of maturity. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's judgment. a good way to put that too. Trapped in the thinking of his time. That's it's really interesting to think about that. You know, the whole book can be thought about in that perspective. You know, it kind of has to be. The yeah. author often will kind of just, or as a third person narrator, will kind of go. Somebody, you know, like there's one part where I meant to look up who the philosopher would have been. It says a German philosopher from the early 1600s would have looked at this and said it meant this. Hmm. But the people didn't know that. The people knew this. Wow. So that's how they acted. I think yeah. it was about the Inquisition. Uh, and they're yeah. watching, they're going to mm-hmm. watch the, um, the burning, the public burning of the heretics. Um, yeah, which seems like, you know, of course it's horrible, <laughs> but, it, it, you know, for people to come watch and all that stuff. But yeah, they sort says, of had to, right? If you didn't right. show up there, you probably would have been noticed. Right. Yeah. Well, it says, to a philosopher such as Germany was then producing, it might have symbolized many things. A once redeeming faith, now fossilized and distorted by human corruption into the opposite of everything its founder had advocated. A demonstration of the past, still powerful and alert to keep the new age in leading strings. But Pedro de Vargas was no philosopher. He had been conditioned to accept humbly and in trembling the sternness of God as exercised by a divine church. Not for him to question or protest. The very instinct of protest was in itself a proof of original sin. Hmm. To the people in the square and to him among them, this ought indeed to be a joyful occasion. It manifested the victory of God over the forces of evil. And so he's really, the author is really good at kind of pulling back for a second and going, yes, here's the overall perspective from time. I know how you're thinking about it. But let's remember what these people knew. Mm. They only knew this. And so it it's really a good book, too, for having that perspective of what we think isn't always the truth. Yeah, what we, yeah, what, what's clear know. to us may not be clear to other people, That's right? It. Other cultures and all that, yeah. Yeah, and in the future, as we've mm. said before, what will people look back at and go, man, they were confused. Yeah, I have know? some things that I think they think. <laughs> 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 Do we want a list? Yeah. And <laughs> even at, at the same time, I appreciated how he was like, okay, well, there are some people that are really uncomfortable with this, you know, yeah. and, and you're showing them, you know, that, you know, they, they feel like, ah, something's, I think something's wrong with that, mm-hmm. you know? Well, um, and Pedro's one of them. It's yeah, because yeah. he has these instinctive feelings like with Kotal, like you pointed out. And he's like, I just can't do it, man. He trusts mm-hmm. me and we're friends and I'm doing evil on my name day, but I'm giving yeah. him all my money. Right. And yeah. And that was really powerful too. He's like, I got these two coins for my name day and uh, here's one. Oh, and here's the other one. You know, it's so, <laughs> so painful, but he gave it to him. Yeah. Yeah. And that was enough to get uh Kotal all the way to where, where he wanted to go, which was back to the new world where he claimed that he was, you know, I, okay. I'm a pretty big shot over there, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is thinking about that in terms of what happens at the end of the book, since we could talk about this, Mm. Pedro, against everything he'd been taught, following his better instincts, gives all he has. Mm -hmm. And he gives up, if anybody found out, he would be giving up his reputation and everything. He's not doing it in front of anyone, but... He gives everything he has. So at the end, what happens? Kotal pays him back, you know, more than a hundredfold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, the treasure he gives, 700 pesos for the two he gave him, essentially. Yeah. Or 700, 7,000, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. So much. A big old cave full of gold. Treasure. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and at that point, and that's kind of an interesting point because Kotal brings up he says, um, when he's showing him all the treasure, he s- uh, Pedro says, what can I say? He burst out. What return can I make? No return. Kotal stretched out his hand. I tell you one time your God give you what you want. We not meet again, but you go with me. I go with you. What we do for each other is seed of good or bad harvest. It is so, senor, with all we do in life. Hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of a theme of the book that I hadn't really thought about until this time of reading it is everybody he's met and had an interaction with in the beginning, of course, in the way good stories told, it comes back and it winds through. But that's kind of a theme of the book is everybody we meet plants a seed Hmm. for good or bad. They travel with us and we travel with them. Yeah. 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 That's nice. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's that, <clears throat> you know, as we've said so many times, I mean, because it's kind of become one of our themes, but we see it so many places. It's that community thing. Right. And, you know, the more you're around people, the more they influence you and vice versa. But even these small things can come back and make a difference in a way you don't expect. Right. And, and allowing yourself to be part of that community, right? Yeah. Being a positive part of that community as well. But, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Because yeah. without that, they wouldn't have lived through the big battle in, um, I can't remember the name, Mexico mm-hmm. City, essentially. Right, right. Yeah. So, so uh, one of the parts, there, there's one chapter in here that I just thought was absolutely sublime and awesome. <laughs> it's oh, chapter wow. 27. Okay. Um, in my book, one page 143. But, but so, um, so Pedro, uh, well, there, there's, he, he does have the run-in with the Inquisition, right? Him and his family. And um, right. gosh, his daughter, or his, uh, sorry, his sister, sister is accidentally killed. Um, that was really tough. I just couldn't believe oh, it. Yeah, that was just, hard. Just really hard. Yeah. And then um, Pedro uh, makes his escape and he goes to the New World, um, mm-hmm. like you had mentioned earlier. But when he goes there, he meets this, this priest. And, um, oh, yeah. And th- that was really... He's good. Yeah, it was really, really interesting to me, you know, um, especially kind of in the times that we're in um, right now, the things that are going on uh, for us right now as Catholics, um, you know, this contrast, you know, it's like, you know, whenever people talk about, you know, the history of the Catholic church and, um, you know, things like the inquisition and and things, you know, I I don't think that they fully understand a lot of what was happening, but also, you know, that there were always these good people. It's not like, um, when there is a dark period in the church, you know, there's still are always these people that are, that are, that have the right uh, viewpoint <laughs> and are moving yeah. forward, right? And they're right. they're uh, they're staying with the church and they're changing it from within and uh, moving it forward as it should be. And um, but I really liked this this guy. Um, what was his name Father Almedo? Yes, he's amazing. Isn't yeah, he? and it was just awesome. So he, you know, Pedro. You know, they they are sitting together uh, on like a wall or something, looking out at the ocean, and Pedro is sitting there thinking about what he's left, and is he ever going to get to go back? You know, and uh, and then up walks this priest and sits down next to him. You know, this big guy, and uh, just starts to talk to him about stuff, and uh, I really liked that. Um, so yeah, he was a square, soldierly man with a scrubby beard frank eyes and appealing smile he wore the habit of the order of mercy cortez often remarked that if father bartolome could not convert the heathen dogs of yucatan they were past praying for entrusted to him the spiritual interests of the expedition were in good hands and then the friar slipped off his sandals explaining the thong chafed him and wriggled his strong toes in relief um i love that and uh so let's see um, I had marked here. It says, I, I begin young myself and not always in order. So uh, this is the priest talking. Cheer up. You'll sail back again someday with a cheer- chest full of gold and much honor. The peerless lady will be yours. The dream will come true. He added with a sigh. And afterwards, Senor de Vargas? And uh, Pedro says, I don't understand. The other retorted, Why not? I only meant that your dream is attainable and wondered what would take place what would take its place afterwards another lady more wealth and fame because the zest of life is effort my son not attainment mm-hmm. and uh yeah. I love that I love that statement we've actually said that before here you know where you know attaining stuff is not always satisfying <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you get there, then where yeah. do you go? I know. And you go, ah, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. I'm bored. Yeah. Yeah. And only God is big enough to fill it. Right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and then he goes on, father Almeida says, and, and this is where I just really just loved it. So he says, yeah, uh, is- well, the difference between you and me is that I shall never get what I long for. And that's the priest saying that. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, to become a bishop, thought Pedro, or maybe, maybe even the pope. Yes, it did seem a far cry for a poor chaplain. But then he says out loud, what is that, Father, if I may ask? And the priest says, to know God in his perfection, said Almedo quietly. And after a moment, it is unattainable. And therefore, I shall be happy forever in my dream. You see, dreams are like carrots, and we are like mules. As long as the carrot dangles in front of our noses, we keep going, cover ground. If we catch up with it, we stop. Unused to metaphors, Pedro digested the meaning slowly. How did you happen to come to the islands, Father? As a witness for God. To the Indians? Almedo looked amused. Yes, I came with that idea. I soon learned that the greater need was to witness to the Spaniards. (laughs) Awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, because he says... Because Pedro says, what do you mean? And he says, well, who's more guilty? The Indian serving his devils through ignorance or the Spaniard professing Christ and serving the devil in rape and murder, cruelty and extortion? The friar's face grew darker. The Indians welcomed us like children. We destroyed them by the sword, by the lash, in the fields and in the mines. They died like flies. Soon there won't be any more. We've been a plague to these islands. God have mercy on us. Hmm. And he, um, and and then he says, you know, so I'm chaplain to the army. It's my flock of wolves. He goes, yeah, yeah. Cortez talks about converting Indians, but I'm worried about us. And, <laughs> and, you know, that almost sounds like a bit of modernism put in there, but that's, there actually were a couple of priests who vehemently protested just in the way this friar is doing. And, in fact, sparked an international debate that was held in, well, I, I say international, but it was held in a in Spain against somebody who said, oh, no, no, they don't really have souls and this and that. And because of those debates, that's considered to be one of the beginnings of international law in how foreign people are treated by other mm-hmm. nations. Excellent. And it was sparked by all this stuff mm-hmm. because there were a lot of people just going along going, oh, yeah, the way Pedro sees it or anybody else does who's not thinking about it. And then there are people who are going, no, 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 no. This is not how Christ would have treated these people. Yeah, They're people. Absolutely for certain. Yep. And to see this applied to Pedro's life, Pedro doesn't necessarily absorb all this because he's not a deep thinker. Mm. You know, when it says unused to metaphor, he absorbed it slowly. He is thinking about it. Yeah. But he's not used to thinking that way. He's never been trained in it. He's never had to. Mm. And... That's something that's hard to realize sometimes, I think, is when we're all used to thinking one way or communicating using whatever metaphors or methods we have, and then you run into somebody who's just not used to that at all. Hmm. And it doesn't mean they're stupid. It's just they're used to thinking a different way about stuff. Right. Yeah. And not using that same kind of mental shorthand. Mm-hmm. Yep. So agreed. 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 Yeah, we have to be able to bridge the gap and kind of at least drop the seed. Mm-hmm. But I do love that. That is one of my favorite parts. Yeah, me too. And um, so it shows you just how how good Shella Barger is at this. You know, that not only says everything that we just said, but it also foreshadows the rest of the book. <laughs> you know, yes. it's like, you know, he's saying, uh, hey, that, that stuff you want right now, you know, maybe you ought to think about that. It's not going to be enough. Right. It's not going to do it. It's yeah. not It's not what, you know, what you think right now is not what you're going to find out. What a great point, too, because, you know, as much as I love that passage and I've read it so many times, I didn't really stop and apply that one thing about what do you do when you have all that to the rest of the book. Mm. And you're right. It is what happens to Pedro. He gets everything he wants. And when he finds out, oh, yes, you're going to marry the lady, Louisa, who you were in love with. She was your crush. And it's like ashes in his mouth. She's not what he wanted. She's not who he remembered. Because they both changed. Yeah. And he loves Katana. Mm Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't marry him for his own good because she knew that she would just bring him down. Yeah. Yeah. She kept she, saying that. But, you know, he sometimes had moments of clarity and he's like, well, let's just stay over here in the new world. And then all that stuff that you're talking about really doesn't make any difference. 
Right. You know, but she's like, no, you, you want to go back. You don't want to stay here. Yeah. Um, you put yeah. your family back there. And the thing is, it's true, you know, but then it was only in going back that maybe I, I felt like, you know, after the end, he could have gone back to the new world and been perfectly happy. Yeah. Well, that's what they were talking about, right? He's mm-hmm. talking to his father about it, and she's talking to his mother about it. Yeah, yeah. They're both going, I come back with us. We'll have a big wrench, and you could take care of I'm We're going to have a lot of children. And, and each of the parents says, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk to him about it, you know. Mm-hmm. I think this will work. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so you definitely get the feeling that they're going to go back and do that. Right, right. And meanwhile, Katana gets more than she would have ever dreamed. She doesn't dare to dream, mm. you know, yeah. of being married to him or right, right, even being with him. Yeah. So uh, there's one more part in this chapter that we need mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, so in the same yes. conversation, he moves forward um, and he says, My son, do you believe in the Holy Catholic Church? And Pedro says, I do, of course. There isn't any other church, is there? And Pedro says, no. One church in Spain, England, France, the Empire, and Italy, everywhere. Every Christian believes alike. Isn't that true? And then the author throws in, it was before the Reformation. (laughs) Pedro could answer, yes. And uh, you wouldn't like to see the church, the mantle of Christ, torn into rags and patches, would you? Instead of one sheepfold, many folds? Would that make for harmony and peace? No, says Pedro, but the, does the Santa Casa, uh, one moment, because there are often cruel shepherds, greedy shepherds, do you think that the office of shepherd itself should be given up and the sheep left to wander? No, says Pedro, but what has that to do with the Inquisition? Everything. It was founded to protect the faith. I say founded for that purpose. It may be that it is not accomplishing its purpose. It may be that its means are wrong. It may be that it is in the hands of evil shepherds. But let me say this. Not all of the Santa Casa are evil men. And not all who are condemned are innocent. So um, so the, this guy seems to be saying, okay, well, the Inquisition, the purpose of the Inquisition, um, in his head, anyway is that uh, we're trying to hold the church together, right? Well, yeah, and I think when we read that history book a mm-hmm. long time ago, yes, uh-huh. it talked about the Inquisition, and I've read other various books that talk about it and say, you know, the Spanish Inquisition was an unusual, unfortunate twist mm-hmm. of the overall Inquisition, which in many places people would throw themselves on the Inquisition's uh, fairness, the judges instead of deal with the local judges Mm, because they were so much fairer and more even handed. Mm -hmm. And early in the book, the um, De Silva is trying to buy the land from the father. And he says, well, you know, because I'm part of the inquisition. And it says at this reference to the inquisition, a shadow and almost palpable chill descended on the pavilion. It happened in any company where the dread name was mentioned a kingdom within the kingdom, a power greater than the king's, a despotism more complete than any yet invented. It paralyzed the human soul with terror. It did not represent the Catholic Church. Indeed, it represented the very reverse of Catholic, a peculiar Spanish development, narrow, local, fanatic, a parasite repudiated by traditional Catholic thought then as well as since. Not until 400 years later would the world again be visited by a similar curse. Hmm. So the author himself, and this is very early in, so the author himself is pointing out this isn't what the Inquisition was meant to be. It isn't what the church would agree with. The Spanish part is real different. And um, it's interesting, of course, that that's such an important thread because when we see the Inquisition, it is definitely being used by evil men for evil purposes or for their own purposes, for selfishness, mm-hmm. really. And um, it's interesting timing, I think, that we read this book when we did. Mm. I picked it yeah. a couple months ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's been on my list forever. And I just said, oh, it's been a long time since we've read a book like this. Let's do this. And I looked at the thing about the mantle of Christ torn into rags and patches instead of one sheepfold, many folds, cruel mm. shepherds, greedy shepherds. 
should the shepherd of office office of shepherd itself be given up and the sheep left to wander and of course when we're recording this hmm. we're right in the middle of that kind of chaos yeah you know catholics are arguing with catholics about um several things the the uh revelation that a very very important church official in america was a sexual predator and evidently the other bishops kind of, it was an open secret among a lot of people who just let it go on that because of him, there was a whole seminary full of um, this kind of thing happening. And he was celebrated by the church in general, by the media specifically also by the Vatican. Um, Then the Pennsylvania grand jury report came out chronicling decades of abuse from the 1940s on and thankfully showing that it's, you know, being handled now in the present, but it's a horrifying record. And then we have last Sunday, well, as since we're recording this the week before it'll come out, mm-hmm. um, the letter accusing the Pope of rescinding all of Pope Benedict's sanctions on McCarrick and just letting him roam wild and taking all his recommendations for bishop and everybody knew about it and saying that the Pope should resign. And the Pope said, I'm not going to dignify that with an answer and just shut himself into the Vatican or so it seems right now Mm -hmm. with no Mm -hmm. other answer for several days. And so what's happened as a result, and I'm only explaining this because a lot of people don't seem to know about it um, because the news isn't covering it like this. So there are all these threads And what you have is people devolving this whole question into they're just saying that because they're conservatives and they don't like this pope or they don't, you know, like whatever. They're just saying that because they're liberals and they do like this pope or they do. And I'm just like, we're forgetting the whole point. And the point is all this stuff that Olmedo was saying. What is the point of the church? You know, in in this case, the, um, you know, the Indians who are being abused that he's complaining about are the people who were sexually abused by, you know, by priests Hmm. and bishops and maybe enabled by bishops. This was supposed to have been cleaned out in the early 2000s when all the sanctions went in. And heaven only knows my church. I mean, I'm having to do security checks and stuff all the time on this stuff for me. Because yeah, I yeah. volunteer, and so, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you are too. Yep, I am too. Yeah, and around the world, I think people are doing this, and then you find out, well, what, what what's going on above us? Right. What's hierarchy <laughs> doing? So there's this whole sense of this whole situation. Here we are again, and there are good people, like Olmedo says, but we, the sheep, are kind of wandering around not, right now, going, "What's going on?" Yeah. Yeah. This has to be fixed. And unlike Pedro, we have social media. <laughs> we have, <laughs> and we have, you know, we have more learning and, mm. you know, general about that kind of thing given to us. And yeah, so yeah. now a lot of people are very angry and disillusioned. Right. And, uh, you know, ready to take like a baseball bat to the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Just take the whole thing down, which is what he's saying here. It's like. You know, because there are often cruel shepherds, greedy shepherds, do you think that the office of shepherd itself should be given up? You know, and and we hear that kind of stuff too, Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, gosh, maybe we shouldn't have a pope. Maybe we should have, you know, you know, which is some of the arguments that have caused, you know, churches to uh, uh, spring up, you know, differently as well, Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, uh, split up, split away from the Catholic church. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It is like you say. You know, everybody seems to be taking corners based on sort of these political views and what they think is important. And um, you know, as so happens in at least American politics, you know, where you know all, all these arguments, you know, you're you're losing the point of what is happening. That we we really need. You know, we want to know what the truth is, and we right. should all be focused on just. Let's find out what the truth is, and then we can argue about what needs to be done. But let's <laughs> yeah. let's figure out what the truth is. But in uh, but instead, you know, we're we're seeing people just say, "Well, the only reason that you want to know what the truth is is because you're conservative, or 
or something like this. Or the only reason you don't want to know what the truth is, is because you're liberal. Um, and, uh, you know, using bits and pieces of things that they've found or things that are known to support a position of some type or other where, um, you know, where's Christ in this? Where, where is the right. point of the church? What, right. what is it that the church is? Why is this become the point uh, when it's not, we, we've lost the point. Well, and that's why just for the same reason that the Spanish inquisition was eventually dismantled yeah. and other problems in the church have gradually been taken care of. Right, right. This, too, will mm -hmm. be taken care of. Mm -hmm. There are good people in the hierarchy calling for investigation into everything. Things will be taken care of. And the, <laughs> the laity, which is, you know, us, the regular people, are not going to let this be forgotten. Mm -hmm. If my bishop thinks this is the only letter he's gotten from me, he's wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and me, too. And me, too. Um, you know, I sent my first letter to my bishop. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, But, yeah. Yeah, you. It just this isn't enough anymore. You know, um, yeah. All the cards need to be on the table. Let's get them all out there. <laughs> right. Everything. And it's and the interesting thing to me is is he brings up all these big pictures when because Pedro says, "Father, what do you think of the Santa Casa as it is now?" Hmm. Olmedo replied bluntly, "I shall not answer that question, my son, except to an inquisitor himself. If that time should come." but he broke off. And then he just mm. says, I'm going to preach the gospel when we get to the Yucatan. I'm going to do what I can to mm. prevent human beings from eating human flesh and making human sacrifices. I shall overturn when possible the blood-filthy idols that Grijalva speaks of, for it is not fitting that men should bow down before devils, but for the rest I shall use love, mercy, and meekness, not the rack and the scourge. Judge of my beliefs by we deeds, by my deeds. It is how we live, not how we talk that counts. And and so he's saying, I can't do anything about that. Here's what I can do in mm. my own life, in my own position. And then he asked Pedro the same thing. Why haven't you been to Mass? How are you living your life? Mm -hmm. And so Pedro gives him a confession that he <laughs> He did. Yep. Oh my gosh, what would so many people like to do? You know, he gets mm -hmm. to Silva in that fight, makes him renounce God and goes, ha ha, you're going straight to hell and kills him. He thinks. <laughs> I'm like, and that is such a great scene where you're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then later he's kind of like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. That mm -hmm. was not really good. So he confesses it. And Almeida says, I already knew about it. I got a letter about it. Yeah. Now, here's what I want you to do. You have to reform your way of thinking. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. You have to change. You have to be glad that he didn't die. You have to pray for his soul. You have to, you have to, you know, do all these things yourself. And so that's also the pattern that we have to follow, right? Yeah. We have to yeah. look to ourselves. Right. And, and I like, too, in this paragraph um, that you read, you know, he says, I shall not answer that question, my son, except for to an inquisitor himself. And then he says, if that time should come, but then he broke off. Now, I, what I read in that is, okay, this is courage. It is like, right. you know what's right, come. and you, you just need to, you need to uh, act on it. Yeah. Right? And you need to not worry about what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. there's a courage aspect to it. And then it's like, yes, you just need to do what you can. Um, in basically your sphere of influence. Yeah. You know, and what else can we do? What else can we all do? Well, yeah, I'm not put in a position where I can do stuff about the other things. I mean, I'm where I am. Yep. So you have to be ready if you think you might be called upon to have to be brave like that, like you say, to stand up. Mm -hmm. You have to try. Yep. And then, but in your own life, you have plenty of things to do where you are that change the world, right? In a very tiny way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because for each of the people you encounter, those changes matter hugely. As much as something you could do if you were a big important person, you know, a bishop yep. who I mm -hmm. expect to change things because they're supposed to take care of us. But you know, your family, your friends, the people you work with. Yeah, yeah, and we constantly see that, you know, little things that are done, you know, 
you know, mustard seeds, right? You know, yeah. little, little tiny things that happen that, that uh, have big effects later that we don't even see. But right. our job is just to keep doing that. Right. Right. Yep. And the rest, hopefully, will be handled. Mm-hmm. So, you bet. Fascinating. It is, it is funny, you know, and I say funny. Um. But but it's happened more than once, you know, where where a book has been selected that just seems to be perfect for the moment. Yeah, finally. <laughs> and this is one of those. Yeah, it's just like yeah, and it it's it's pretty cool how that happens. It is. It is. I remember I reading this, and I had just finished rereading it. And all this stuff breaks out, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm seeing parallels here. Yeah. yeah. And of course, it's because people keep making the same mistakes over and over again. People are people. Mm. And that's why I don't understand people who say, well, you know, people have evolved. What they mean is, I guess, society has evolved, but they haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they change into different things, but the people are still, each person still has to live his own path. Yep. And that's what changes it. That's right. You know, and, uh, you know, we've talked about how, you know, I think it was when we were reading that history book, it was one of the things, you know, how people are kind of the same as they were so long ago. You know, mm-hmm. there are things that we're just identical about. And then, you know, there's things that we modern folks think we're just much better at. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, and, but our lives, you know, our lives are our lives. You know, it seems right. like, you know, yeah, we, we may have, we may have some deeper knowledge, right? And, uh. Uh, of of things you know like science and that kind of stuff yeah um but uh but yeah i mean it seems like our journey is the same journey as everybody else in history has been you know our own personal human yeah yeah the human heart is always the same i mean that's why we understand pedro Mm. that's why we understand when he's torn between well i know what i should do but man, I could see what would happen to Kotal. He's friend. I don't, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> I'll give him the money. Yeah. We get it. Right. Um, and, and that thing you said about um, the patterns repeat and everything, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that gets remarked on, too, because a band of people come from Cuba, and they're trying to mesh the new band of adventurers and they're sanctioned by the governor of Cuba. Who's kind of, I believe it's Cuba who's running all the, you know, he's got the authority. So he's sending all these people out and they're having to mesh with Cortez's band. Doesn't appreciate it. They don't like them so much. And so there's a big dinner and Olmedo's looking around and he's going, Oh, right. Here are all these sets of people. And it's like one set is sitting at one side and one set sitting at the other side. And he's looking at individuals, but he always says, um, uh, he says, it seemed to Olmedo who had a touch of the mystic that death sat at the far end of the table, balancing Cortez for death was inevitable when vanity and human passion lined the board as they were doing here. Why could men never learn, never Mm. see why untaught by ex- repeated experience did they have to meet over and over again the same disaster? It was not that they did not know how to avoid it. They had known for 1,500 years, remembering that this is in the 1500s, so that would be since Christ died. They had only to renounce their tiresome and malignant egos for the grandeur and freedom of love. They had only to be Christian in thought and heart. To the honest friar, it seemed childishly clear that this was the remedy for most human ills, and it lay ready at hand. For Olmedo, the ironic tragedy of human life consisted in this perpetual shipwreck within sight of the haven. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So well put. Yeah. And like I say, I have to remember that... um, I read all this stuff in the books because it it fits in so perfectly with all the thinking of the book and the time period and everything. But, um, you know, rereading it, I was just like, wow, these are just such timeless truths. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I like when he says we only had to be Christian in thought and word. Well, only because that's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and through all this stuff, you know, all all these times in history where the church has got off track or some people in the church have, um, you know, if, if you're just looking at the teachings, you know, there's, you know, um, 
it's always so clear that they're not following it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and why isn't it clear to them or is it? And they're doing it anyway. Um, you know, it, it's always difficult mm-hmm. to discern, you know. Um, but, but another real human, uh, human nature moment um, I've got highlighted here. Um, so it, it, it's later on in the book, uh, a little more than halfway, it looks like. Um, but uh, all of the... They're in Mexico, and Cortez is there, and he gives the gold to all his people, all his soldiers and stuff, and they all come in and they grab it, right? And then right. he says, um, by now the room had been swept bare of gold, the soldiers staggering out one by one with their plunder. The torches, burned to their sockets, cast a final glimmering through the place, where beautiful but perishable things lay strewn over the floor like a flotsam of wreckage. Looking about him... Cortez gave a slight shrug. It expressed more eloquently the vanity of human wishes than many a volume on the subject. <laughs> I was really struck by that. I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, it's like, again, that's the attainment. It's like, um, you know, all this stuff Cortez has been doing, you know, there's victory and he gives away all the plunder and then he just looks at the room and just shrugs. Says, yeah. Well, now what? That's right before the big battle when they're gonna they're gonna fight their way out of the city, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, and that's right before that. I think Pedro and somebody else, a friend, Alvarado, maybe were looking around getting a few. Uh, they're like they could take what they wanted. They're like, well, all the new guys uh-huh. were just loading themselves down, and the veterans were kind of maybe taking a few emeralds or something. But they're just kind of looking around, going, "It's gonna weigh me down." Yeah. This is going to be learned. bad. I've learned. I need other, um, I need lightness and quickness more than this. Yeah. Yeah. And Cortez, so Cortez seems to have taken nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Wild, wild stuff. <laughs> but yeah. Well, in this book, I, you know, cause we're talking about all the interesting philosophical bits, which mm-hmm. you don't expect in a book of high adventure, but I mean, it's got everything. It's got the, I mean, you know, when they, take the uh, Montezuma prisoner and, you know, stop them doing the um, sacrifices. They're fighting their way out They're You know, there's a uh, Kotal saves them. He takes them away to his little spot. Cantana and he have a baby. I mean, there's all these things going on. So much great adventure. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to think that it's just uh, philosophy. Oh, yeah. It's just that oh, this no. stuff is all yeah. woven in here. You bet. This is that's the stuff that I just focus on. But yeah, you're right. There's sword fighting. It's it's really cool. It would it would. Uh, I know it's been a movie, but mm-hmm. uh, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, this might be a really, really good movie. Oh yeah, yeah. It could be a really amazing movie because then you get back to where he's. It's the race for time against him and De Silva. Can he get back and hide the treasure and get to the king or the Holy Roman Emperor? to um, report what's going on to save Cortez's reputation and his mm-hmm. before De Silva gets in there and, and lies about it. And then it's an interesting parallel too, because we've seen Pedro be, um, you know, naive and immature. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're seeing the Holy Roman emperor who's kind of in the same state. He's learning how to do this. And he's got the wise advisor who's kind of letting him make some of his own mistakes. So he learns the lessons. Hmm. that's kind of being pointed out to us, you know, as we go, well, it's all, I gave my whole trust to this guy. And the counselor's like, is that really a good idea? (laughs) You know, why not? Oh, nothing. I have a better plan. Just remark. (laughs) You know, and then later he's like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, you might remember I tried to, Uh, Uh, you know? Yeah. So, so those are some nice things too, is seeing those moments. For sure. Um, Yeah. They're really good scenes. And there's, there's a scene where, uh, um, again, we're in spoilers. So the, that, uh, they're trying to get out. So Pedro and Garcia are, are trying to get out and De Silva is there as well. And, uh, <laughs> you out know, of Mexico like leaning City. on his sword saying, you know, uh, uh, I forget what the, what the exact, what, uh, De Silva was actually doing, but he was, he was doing nothing when he could do something to save them, but he didn't. Yeah. And Indian he was, he was yelling yeah. as if, like, uh, yeah. just grab my hand and pull. And he's like, Oh, poor things. Yeah. 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 And he was yelling as if, uh, you know, uh, he was standing there leaning on his sword while he was yelling as if he was doing something. You yeah. Know what I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a really good scene. 
Oh, the and, poor devils, and I can't save them kind yeah, of thing. exactly, exactly. In the middle of the big battle. Right, yeah, it right. was just, and you could just see their eyes meeting, and it's like, oh, crap. Oh, no, yeah. Here we go. And they did get captured, and, yeah. 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 Well, and in reference to that, um, one of the most interesting parts to me has always been when they are prisoners now, and they're watching various sets of prisoners being taken up and be sacrificed. And one of them who came over with the band from Cuba was Ignacio Delora, who was mm. the main inquisitor, the yeah. head inquisitor. Right. And in fact, uh, Garcia had been under a death penalty because he attacked him and tried to kill him because this is the guy who killed his mother. And he's like, and they're like, well, now if we put you on your best honor, no, I'll kill him. But the first second I get <laughs> fine, we'll have mm. to kill you. Mutiny. Yeah. But this of course is all gone by the wayside because the Indian attack and having to get out and everything. So, but Delora has been captured and he's one of the set of people who's being taken up to be sacrificed and they can see them from their window. Mm. And, um, so, uh, Pedro says he wondered what Garcia was thinking. The big man stared at the ground mumbling. Certainly so far as vengeance went, Garcia could ask for nothing more complete because they burn them alive before they cut their hearts out. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Um, but strange, uh, but strangely enough, Pedro found himself regretting that vengeance should absorb his friend at such a time. De Vargas's personal hatred for Ignacio Delora had suddenly vanished in favor of pity. Faced together with this unspeakable death in a distant barbaric land, what did former hatreds matter? They belonged to another world, to a half forgotten life. Mm. And then. He says, so what are you doing? And he's like, can't you see I'm praying for us? It says the moment came. The guards closed in. Delora, his limbs failing, was beaten and dragged up the steps of the platform. Mother of God, Garcia groaned. He is an old man and weak. I prayed God for vengeance. I didn't mean it. Not this sinner that I am. Let him not suffer. And of course, he suffers mm. the maximum possible. <laughs> And um, so he says, are you afraid? And Garcia says, no, I'm not afraid of them, but I'm afraid because remember I said there wasn't any justice. Um, and he says, you were right. We have nothing left but our blessed Savior. He makes allowances for fools. God doesn't. That's what I'm afraid of, his justice. And Peter wow. says, well, mm. what are you talking about? Our Savior is God. Not in that way. Listen, I prayed God for vengeance. You wouldn't pray our blessed Lord for that. He wouldn't listen if you did. I prayed God. I told Omedo I had. He cited scripture to me where God says, vengeance is my business. Leave it to me. I'll take care of it. The big man clamped his teeth together nervously. Comrade, it would have been better for Delora if I had killed him at the quarters, but God wouldn't have it. It wasn't his idea of justice. No, he planned this. Can you think of any vengeance like his? May our Savior protect us and all men from it. Hmm. Wow. Yep, I highlighted the same section. Mm-hmm. Because there's that, and there is that tendency to think of, um, <laughs> you know, it's easy for us to think of as he's kind of doing here, you know, God's one thing and Jesus is another, where, of course, Jesus says, if you see me, you see God. So it's the same package. Mm. But it is that irony of how many times was Ignacio Delora given the chance to change his path? We are not shown that. We're shown the realization by Garcia, who is one of the most basic thinkers you're ever going to find in a book. Mm. That, you know, when we, we have to be careful when we're crying out for vengeance. Yeah. You need to cry for vengeance, but you need, need to also try to ask for the ability to um, have mercy combined with it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's kind of what I take away from this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And vengeance is my business. Leave it to me. Right. Right. Says God, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's not what we're called to do. Yeah. Yep. And did, did, I don't know. It's just one of those things where, um, again, I, Sorry to keep relating it to now if you're listening and it's two or three years in the future. Hopefully everything's been like nailed down and fixed and everything like that. But it's that idea of, you know, the people who cry out for vengeance, 
they're not wrong to feel aggrieved. I mean, I think of the victims of these sexual predators in the Catholic Church, and just my heart is wrung. Yeah, yeah. It's so awful to think of. It's horrible. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yet, <laughs> I don't know. You're you're left with this whole scene here. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's making us. If nothing else, what it does is make us reexamine. What do we think of God? What do we think of the people we hate? Yeah. Where should we be calling on God to help us and help them? Yeah, it's kind of a tough tightrope, isn't it? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, it says God says vengeance is mine, right? Um, but yet that doesn't mean that you should just leave it alone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, there are some things that need some action. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, forgiveness does not mean pretending it never happened. Right. Um, there are consequences, you know, so, so a priest that has done this needs to not be a priest anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's not vengeance, right? No. It's really protection of future people, um, future parishioners and everything like that. Um, uh, it's, it's a duty, right? To take care of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but vengeance, vengeance is God's. Well, and it also makes me think of this scene in Spotlight, and I don't know if you remember it, but there's a bit where the reporter tracks down one of the priests who's been accused of being a serial predator, uh -huh. and he goes to the, the guy's sister's house where he's staying, and the guy's like, oh, I was showing them God's love or whatever, and you're just you're left with between hearing this guy talk, who's clearly got problems, and hearing the sister talk. What you realize is by ignoring it, essentially, they were also not showing any mercy to the man or his sister. Right. They were not, mm. they needed also to be helped yeah. to proper mm. perspective to, well, not the sister, but I mean, the sister's dealing with the fallout. So she's got this cross to carry, and the priest still doesn't get it, or he's kind of slightly deranged because he's older by now. So they haven't helped him either. Mm hmm. You know, everybody needed help in this area and everyone was failed. And in essence, what this passage of this book does is, for one thing, it shows us Garcia is coming to be more Father Olmedo's frame of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not up to me to go around killing people. But on the other hand, um, it makes us wrestle with it. And that's not a bad thing to have to wrestle with how do you feel about that tightrope. Yeah. Agreed. Because we may be yeah. called upon to walk it ourselves or help somebody else walk it at any moment. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Well done, Shella Barger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so much in here. It's it's great. It's, you know, it's what I really love out of a story. And it's just so well crafted, you know. I think it, that's the thing because you're reading this exciting adventure and then as you're reading it, you suddenly go, whoa. I didn't expect that, too. It's just richer than you think. Well, nobody expects. <laughs> <laughs> nobody. Nobody it. expects Samuel Schellebarger. <laughs> no one. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for picking this book. It, it was, again, very worthwhile. Really enjoyed it. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Yep. Thumbs up. Yeah, and you and you said so. Is there anything else by Shellebarger that you would? Yeah, he also wrote some mysteries, and I think it's one of those things where you know you're really good at what kind of book. Like the same way Agatha Christie wrote some romances, and everyone who tries them goes, "Oh no, mm -mm. those are terrible." <laughs> They're no good. Bridget Hare, who wrote such amazing light romances that are so good, Regency romances, she kind of invented them. And they're very clever and funny and intricately plotted. And she also wrote some mysteries and everybody who reads them goes, oh, those are terrible. Don't try those. Oh, wow. So he wrote some mysteries and I would say those are the same kind of um, a feel. Huh. But two others that I really like are The King's Cavalier. And that's the one about uh, the French states where basically the king of France is – young and uh, maybe being run by his mother also is having to call, call the Duke of Burgundy into you've got to be, give up your, your uh, duchy, I guess it would be dukedom mm -hmm. and become part of the bigger part of France. So it's kind of looking at nationhood. And the other is Lord Vanity. Lord Vanity. Okay. And that's one about a young man who is a bastard 
who uh, who turns out he finds out his father is an English lord and he wants to connect with him. He he wants the power and the money. But when we meet him, he is part of the Venetian theater scene. And so it's really fun seeing this. Uh, he plays an instrument and he becomes friends with a girl who's an actress or dancer, I believe, because they have dance scenes in between the um, theater acts, huh. stage acts. Cool. So it's fun seeing that world as he's wrestling with what do fame and vanity mean? Set, you know, how do they relate to each other? What does it mean in life? Mm-hmm. And it's historical in that way. I don't know if it's really connected with a big historical event the way the others are, but those are both very good. Like I say, they don't, I'd have to reread them. They don't tend to have the the stronger um, spiritual themes going in them, so I kind of like these other two better. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, so he wrote those right after. So it looks like he wrote Captain from Castile, and then Prince of Foxes, and then the King's Cavalier, and then Lord Vanity. So Mm -hmm. he just had that, you know, really golden part of his life right there. Yeah. And then there was two after that as all, one called The Token and one called Tolbeckin. I think Tolbeckin is set in contemporary times in the 1950s. I've tried the beginnings of both of those and have not liked them, and I probably should try them again. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you for introducing me to him. Well, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. He's not known enough. Yes. Okay. Well, next up is. Oh, Cat People. <laughs> right. Cat People, 1942 film. Yeah, somehow I thought that we were going to be a little closer to October when I picked uh-huh. that. And I went, oh, what the heck? It's always, <laughs> you know, a good preview for Love October. It. I don't want to steal any thunder. But uh-huh. this is just a classic, you know, mm-hmm. Halloween movie. Wonderful. Looking forward mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Okay. Good. <laughs> Well, that's that. So thanks yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Talk to you <laughs> in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.